Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back, ready to talk some mixed martial arts with you for the next hour or so. A lot of big news to chat about, stuff that's going to round out the rest of this year. Big, big fights. We got UFC 295 and 296. We've added a co-main event for 295 in November. That's in New York and 296 in Las Vegas. We have the co-main and the main of course there's our weekly chat about dana white contender series there's still some trickle effect coming out of noche ufc and we have a guest michael c williams the uh in-ring announcer for bellator we haven't caught up with him in a long time so it'll be fun to catch up with the voice he's also known as the voice if you guys didn't know that as is michael chavello We'll be right back to uh, reset and start the show. All right, goes. Well, we knew that John Jones and Steve Miocic were going to headline UFC 295 in New York. All right, that's on November 12th. And that's pretty much the 30th anniversary show. Because on November 11th of of 1993, that was the UFC 1. So on November 12th, it'll be one day after the 30-year, the exact 30-year anniversary. But, you know, the UFC rolls on Saturdays. So close enough. We knew it was going to be Jones versus Miocic. Now we got the co-main event. They're actually going to fill the vacancy. Yuri Vashaska, the former. Oh, well. Uh, two champions ago, a former champion who hurt his shoulder and had to vacate his title. He's back in the picture and he faces Alex Pejeda, who just beat a former champion himself, uh, Jan Blahovich. So that's uh, a solid co-main event to the main event. Yeah, I like it. I, do you like it when all these news breaks at one time? It's kind I of kind of do. It's kind of a menace, I think, for the website. You know, because everything's happening all at once. But as a fan, it's pretty incredible to just kind of sit there and listen to Dana roll off all these fights that all mean something. You know, it's very, very cool. And, you know, that vacancy, it it had to be filled. You know, you can't just sit around with a vacant belt that long. I'm glad that it's kind of worked out the way it did, though. I don't have any issue with, with any of the bookings. Yeah, I guess I would agree with all that. Uh, Yuri Prashaska made sense. He never really lost it. And, you know, he beat Glover Teixeira fair and square when he won the title. And then he hurt his shoulder, so he couldn't, you know, he couldn't go uh, for his first title defense and relinquish it. Now, if I recall, because I remember, I believe it was going to be like this for Jamal Hill, but... Hopefully, Yuri Prashaska, the fact that he stepped to the side, he was the team player, right? I guess he's kind of getting rewarded here 
um, hopefully he's getting pay-per-view points as well. And I thought I heard them Ooh. say that apply it to one think. of the cases. What's that? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, no, I, I believe he was Dana White was asked about. It. I can't remember if it applies to him, Jamal Hill. I know Charles Oliveira got it when he missed weight, but we all kind of agreed that more than likely Arizona had done messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so Oliveira's been taken care of, and we're hoping that's the same with Yuri Prochaska. I have to believe it is because, again, when you just step aside and let the division move on, that's a pretty big deal, you know, because that's kind of why the interim belts were created. Mm-hmm. And you know Dana White was trying to oversell it. I think with it's the worst shoulder injury we've ever seen, and yet it's kind of pretty much on on par with most shoulder injuries like that. I mean, Cain Velasquez had some some bad ones, and a few other guys, and we all sat around and waited. They didn't have to relinquish, but in this case, they did. And so, look, give us pay per view points, um, and I'm sure they gave him great, you know treatment rehab after his surgery i think everyone's going to be okay with everything but honestly they could have went the interim route if they wanted to mm-hmm. here we are here we are though and it's alex fajeda on the other side so that's pretty big man this guy's doing a lot in such a short time he might win a second title goes there are so many question marks revolving this match that it, it really does make things interesting because I've heard not just Dana talk about that injury, but I've heard people who witnessed that injury say it was pretty freaking bad. Mm-hmm. And for him to kind of step away the way he did, like, is he going to come back and be 100%? And that's one question, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other is, is Pereira improving enough to be in this type of situation, right? I know he's become a big name. They like him. I don't know. That that's a that's a tough one because when it gets time to pick, what do you do, right? Like I think if I think if we all felt a hundred percent Yuri is going to show up, I think we all pick him, right? Like, wouldn't you? I don't I, I don't know. If it's that automatic. Um, man, I'm going to give you a pretty good example of that when we discuss some news in a bit. But no, I don't think I give him. I'm, I'm that automatic with with Yuri Prochaska on this one. No, no, oh, no. Um, Pajeda was, you know, pretty impressive against Jan Blahovich. Actually, I'm I'm very impressed with Pajeda on a few fronts. I mean, the guy's only seven and two. He doesn't even have ten professional fights. He's already been a world champion, and he lost it. So didn't defend the title, but he's already won a contender match, a title contender match, and he's putting himself in a chance to compete for yet another title. All this in one year. So mm-hmm. get this. Last year on November 12th in New York, that's where he beat Israel Adesanya. It wasn't going well for him early on, but he came back and beat him. So that was last November, and this November he'll be fighting for this title in another weight class but what happens since then they go to miami on february uh, sorry april 8th and he loses data Sonya, the fight i just mentioned and then on july 29th he beats Blahovich by split decision and now one year later he might become a champion yet again all that man all, a lot of good stuff is happening to him uh before his 10th fight or i guess this one 
will be technically his 10th fight. That's that's pretty damn impressive. You know, I, I always tell fighters, staying busy is pretty beneficial. All right, not every time, but it's pretty beneficial. I mean, we said earlier in the year, Jessica Andrade, man, maybe she just hit a wall, right? Israel Adesanya, he could use some rest. He's been fighting a lot too. Five fights in the last year and a half. We've said that about fighters before. But I, th I think you have these pockets where you can do it. And then maybe that's when you do take off a whole year, refresh, uh, you know, be a husband, a father, or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you need to just maybe get better and not have to deal with things. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend three-year layoffs or nothing like that, like what CPM is doing. But, but still, this is a pretty interesting run, man. That that uh, Pajeda's in. I love what he's done with his career because when you look at it, he is a guy that. Had he not had had Israel Adesanya not really been as dominant as he was, I don't know that he gets the chances he gets. Mm -hmm. But he capitalized on that chance. He's not really a guy that like runs his mouth. You know, you ask him a question, he's gonna answer it and he'll give you good answers, but he's not really like a shit talker. He's got that little persona that you'll see at the weigh-ins or whatever. He just the way he's been able to build something off of an opportunity that was given to him and then not take it for granted and actually try and improve and do things to get better. I, I really applaud this guy and, and his approach to what he's done. And it really shows that like a lot of fighters can be at the right time in the right place, but you also have to put a little work in. And I think he's, he did a little bit of all of that. Yeah. And I salute Israel as well, because Israel was in the same boat. He was in our studio in December of 2018. And since then, it'll be about five years now uh, by the time, well, he's not fighting in November, but I hate it. But in less than five years, he became champ, defended it five times, lost it, won it back, then lost it again. But still, like, pretty historical run. He'll probably go in the Hall of Fame. He'll probably go down as the second greatest middleweight ever. And he hadn't had that many fights either when he came over from kickboxing. What have we always said? If you wanted to mold a fighter, what would you do? More than likely, you would hope his main strength is a wrestler. And we're going to teach him hands and, you know, uh, build his, his cardio for MMA, teach him some jujitsu, defenses, and offense. But we start with the wrestler. But this is a perfect example of, a, of two world champion kickboxers who learn takedown defense, some jujitsu. But basically, if it stayed on the feet, they could, you know, do well for themselves so who knows who knows if the sport is evolving in front of our eyes right now are there other kickboxers out there you know that maybe are seeing this this path and and can maybe make something of of themselves i mean no disrespect mm -hmm. to muay thai champs kickboxing champs everything but to me right now it seems like we're seeing a big shift in combat sports landscape there may not be anything greater than being a UFC champion. Now, boxing will probably say, take it easy. Your Canelos, your Furies, your Terrence Crawfords of the world. You know, hey, I got it pretty nice over here as well. I get it. I get it. But I, the money's there for sure. And there is a buzz, but I still feel like it's a kind of an older generation sport. Whereas MMA is a big younger generations for with some older generation people that have caught, caught up to it but it seems like the celebs the athletes like um it you know it's starting to, to pick up a little i uh 
I love boxing. I grew up on boxing, but it is kind of becoming an older guy sport. I think it's had a bit of a resurgence, but I don't know that that's enough. And I don't know that that's grown to the way that the UFC has, right? If you go to the, you go to a UFC card live, man, you don't see, like, you just see a lot of people in their 20s and their 30s, 40s, right? Like, that's their demographic. And that's going to continue to grow. And if you're in boxing, there have been, it has gotten better. And who knows, maybe Jake Paul and what he's doing might generate a couple new fans, but I honestly just don't see that crossover. I don't see somebody watching Jake Paul and falling in love with boxing. I just think they like the drama that it brings and all that. Once that's done, I think they're done. I don't think all of a sudden they're tuning into Friday night fights or anything like that. That's uh and they kind of did it to himself themselves, really. Yeah, and plus in MMA, you they just create so many um either super not not many superstars, there's only a handful of superstars, but you got superstars and then the next tier where you can go, they're stars. And then there's just a lot of names below them that might necessarily be like, you know, stars or superstars, but they're they're household names. And and the UFC gets so many fights, you know, like in, in boxing, it's all surrounding the main event. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, UFC is just catching on. But all right, that's a whole other conversation. It's Fajeda versus um, Yuri Prochaska for the title. That's kind of that. Um, I suppose, you know, Vlahovic obviously wants to get back in the uh, in the mix. I realize that. You know, he probably thinks he won the split decision and he should be doing this. And plus, he's getting up there in age as well. And then uh, Magomed Ankalaev, I'm sure, felt like, hey, uh, I should have maybe had a say in this. But he's already been booked against Johnny Walker. They're fighting at, um, in Abu Dhabi, UFC 294. So I imagine the winner of that fight maybe has next over the winner of Prochaska and Pajeda. And then you're going to have a race for when Jamal Hill eventually comes back. I imagine he'll have uh, some sort of a say in it as well. And let's not forget Krylov, Rakic. They're on rolls as well. Mm-hmm. So good stuff there. Um, all right. The next announcement is UFC 296, December 16th. That's the final show of the year. No, it's not going to be in Ireland. No, it's not going to be in Mexico. It's going to be in Vegas. There were some rumors floating around, even China, but it's uh, here in Las Vegas. We got in the main event, Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington, and Alexander Pantoja defends against Brandon Royal. So you get your one-two punch right there. Oh, I did want to say one other thing about UFC 295. It wasn't too long ago that I was saying, you know, Jones versus Miocic is pretty historic, but these tickets are like 700 was the cheapest I was finding. Mm-hmm. for new york and i was like come on UFC, you got to come a little stronger so I'll, i applaud them for coming up with this fight this this second title fight i still feel like the rest of the card uh could use a little bit more pep you know for it being the historic 30 year anniversary card like this isn't um i still feel like we could have maybe a few more stars so let me just tell you who it's on and tell me if i'm being too harsh but at yeah. ufc 295 jones miocic 
Prochaska versus Fajeda, Mackenzie Dern versus Jessica Andrade. Look, Jessica Andrade is now fighting for like the fifth time this year, and I think she's one in three. So, yeah, she's a former champ, but it uh, she's lost a step here, and I'm a big Mackenzie Dern fan. I'm okay with that. Matt Schnell's on the card, but, you know, again, he'll win two, lose one. Um, I still feel like this one needs a little bit more work if you really want this thing to pop. It just needs that. Uh, I think we brought this up in another show. It needs that Bryce Mitchell Danny Gay fight, you know, something yeah. like that. I think. Yeah, they got Mark Madsen versus Jared Gordon, Pat Sabatini versus Diego Lopez, Matthias Rebecca versus Naru Narulu Aliyev, Jamal Emers versus Dennis Bazuka, but we're still lacking here. Joshua Van versus Kevin Warhouse. Yeah, it's missing Fizia versus Gumrot, which is this weekend. Mm-hmm. Bobby Green versus who's he got? Uh, Grant Dawson. You know what I mean? It's just missing something. But because the UFC does so many events, we're not getting truly something special at UFC 295. We're getting a historical main event. I get that. I'm not going to shit on that. And I love this co-main event. Again, another title fight. I just know the UFC. I've covered them for years. When it's something like a round number, 300, 200, 100, or... I don't know, a stadium show. They'll either give you the third title fight or just something that really freaking matters. And we're missing something that really freaking matters. So I'm just going according to the bar that UFC has raised on their own. I'm not nitpicking here. True. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right. So for 296, we got these two title fights. That's a nice start. They got an extra month, obviously, from 295 to 296. So they got time to... Fill that in a little bit. Oh, and by the way, Pavlovich will be the backup for Jones and Miocic is what is what we've heard. So this will be the second time he's been the backup. But uh, eh, if he's getting paid and he's not bitching about it, then whatever. I think we just all move on from it. Um, I mean, shit, beating Curtis Blades was a big, big, big W for Pavlovich already this year. But uh, you know, that guy's pretty exciting, man. Mm-hmm. It's like 18 wins, 15 of them have been finishes, and I think the last five, six in a row have all been TKO's, man. That guy starches fools. But anyway, He's getting back problem. to what I was Oh, hell yeah, hell yeah. Getting back to what I was saying, uh, UFC 296 has these two title fights, and the only other stuff I was able to find was where's the card here i had it just a second ago they haven't built much i guess maybe there's really not much else to talk about other than than you know those two fights pantoja and royville are running it back they fought about three four years ago and pantoja submitted them but royville since then has won three fights in a row plus even before that he had beaten kaikar france tim Milliet. so he's kind of built a nice little resume he's just he's deserving i'm not bitching about it uh, Edwards and Covington are interesting because both of them, since 2019, they've only fought four times. And we're already in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, so they literally fighting like one time per year. And Edwards' last two was against Usman. And then before that, it was against Nate Diaz. And even that one, even though Nate Diaz, yes, I know, he buzzed them in round five. You know, Edwards kind of had his way with them. It's just kind of nice to get a fresh matchup against a welterweight other than Kamar Usman. It, it literally has been like four years since we've seen that with Edwards. Well, how many times have we all said 
had it not been for Kamara Usman, Colby Covington, I'd be the champ, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is that opportunity. There's been a couple of these types of fighters in, in history, right? If you if you think of, uh, had there been no Dominic Cruz, Joseph Benavides maybe has a ring or a, a belt, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I like that matchup. The pro- the only thing is you go so long in between seeing some of these guys that you don't know when uh, when they're going to start to slow down. A guy mm-hmm. like Colby Covington carries such a high pace. Can he continue to do that? Does he still stay sharp? I don't know. That's a tough one to call. Well, no, it's a good point because, look, when he fights on December 16th against Leon Edwards, you know he's like three months shy of a two-year layoff. He fought Masvidal in march of 2022 we're mm-hmm. in right now as we talk about this announcement it's september of 2023 so is that optimal to fight for a title with that much time in between probably not but you know like i say if you look at covington's last year that he had multiple fights in one year it was 2019 he fought lawler and uzman and then in 2020 he beat woodley and then in 2021 he beat, he lost to Uzman the second time, and then in 2022, Masvidal. But that was early 2022, and we're in late 2023, so it's literally like 21 months uh, since Masvidal till when he fights Leon Edwards. That's not the way to go about it, but, you know, that guy got mixed up a little bit in that whole uh, Masvidal thing and then the lawsuit, and who knows if that had something to do with it. You got to stay sharp in this game. You know, you got to keep fighting. You got to stay sharp. Because time will pass you by, people will pass you by, people are getting better. You know, a guy like Leon Edwards, who traditionally is a striker, he's starting to stop takedowns now, right? So mm-hmm. I will say this, though, man. To me, Colby Covington's wrestling is, is pretty on point. And when he wants to take you down, he can just about do that to anyone. So we'll have to see. Uh, but if you give me 100% Colby Covington and 100% uh, Leon Edwards... I would go with 100% Colby Covington. Yeah, and Colby, man, reminded me many times of Habib. Just the pace, the wrestling is relentless. You know what I'm saying? Maybe even um, a more intense pace. Could be. Could be. He's he's a beast. We'll see. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to give a prediction just yet. I don't like layoffs. And honestly, Edwards looked better from Uz. Usman Edwards one to Edwards Usman two. The, from those two fights, Edwards looked a lot better, and you know uh, it, it's not a slam dunk for me to just go, yeah, give me Covington all day. Uh, in Pantoja Roy, Royval, boy, that one I really like Royval, but Pantoja is pretty damn well rounded himself, man. Yeah, Pantoja's a, a monster. And Royals had improvements for sure. You got to give them that. But are those improvements enough? I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I remember, wasn't it in round two of the Pantoja Brandon Moreno fight? We were like, I think he's slowing down. Is he going to make it? Next thing you know, he's all the way to the, to round five. That guy dug deep. I'm kind of giggling too. Um, Misha Tate's going to face Julia Avila. That's another one that uh, just came up. I'm not laughing at that. It's this one. Jake Hager says he's officially retired. 
<laughs> and I saw something in our Slack channel that said, oh, you made it official? Oh, okay. Like, we were all wondering. Yeah. Uh, look, this is the guy from the pro wrestling world that we were all like, all right, cool. Let's see what he can do, you know. But he hadn't done anything in such a long time. I think we all just kind of forgot about it. What was the headline, though? The headline was kind of funny, too. The headline was Jake Hager says he's officially retired from MMA, solely focused on pro wrestling. Bellator was jerking me off. Yeah, something like that. His most recent fight was October of 2020. They couldn't find him a fight, or was he tough to book, or who knows what? Yeah, it can't be that they couldn't find him something, right? Like, there's got to be a story behind that. 3 and 0 with no uh with one no contest. But yeah, so he's done the AEW scene, the AEW scene I guess is where he's been doing his thing. Let me see what I if I, if I can find here on the Slack channel what they said exactly. It was hilarious. I'm not going to say the name or anything like that, but it was it was kind of funny. Yeah, maybe not. All right. I'll leave it alone. Um the only other stuff I guess that came up which hey this is some big 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 news here you know that, that just transpired we did have a dana white contender series and so this is like week seven if i'm not mistaken of like yeah week seven of season seven i think is where we're at here are your winners shamil gaziev defeated greg velasco daniel james allen defeated jacoby jones talita alkin Alan Carr defeated Stephanie Luciano. Uh, Kynan Krzyzewski defeated Dylan Mantello. And Igor De Silva defeated uh, Jonata Silva. This almost looked like um, Dana White Contender Series Brazil. Sort of, right? Sounds like it. Yeah. So three more shows, and I believe... That season will be, I guess, over. And, you know, we'll have to wait a whole more year. But after talking to Grand Dawson the other day and seeing Jamal Hill's success and now Sean O'Malley's success, I mean, this is a pretty big deal, man, this Dana White Contender Series. Hopefully you guys tune in. It's every Tuesday night. Um, Maybe this one, it, yeah, I think it's better than, tough right but you know Chandler versus McGregor was a kind of a big deal because it just involved McGregor so I had a big spotlight on it but I, I've just like I say I, I, I can't say enough about Dana White Contender Series it's a nice thing to have to break up the week I just wish it was more than um, 10, 10 weeks of the 52 weeks of the year I mean it all depends on the room on the roster right because you give these guys contracts like like your Oprah Winfrey other people are going to lose their contracts as well. So uh, it just comes down to what, what the room is, but there's definitely enough fighters where we can look at these guys now and say, hey, they're making a difference. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right. Well, the only other thing I had, and then we're going to do the interview here with Michael C. Williams. Dana White did go out of his way to say, you know, I was kind of clowning. I thought... Raul Rosas was getting a little ahead of himself, saying, I'm, I'm a superstar and I'm, I'm huge. Dana White did say that he, Raul Rosas was kind of moving the needle goes a little better than um, even the title fight at Noche UFC. He said he said Noche UFC was a home run, uh, but when he was asked about, about Raul Rosas, he said Raul Rosas was 
trending harder than even Grasso and Shashenko, which is pretty impressive, I guess. I got to give him that. I still think he's getting a little ahead of himself um, in terms of, like, when I think superstar, I just kind of say, well, who's the last one we've had? Obviously, McGregor. I don't know if O'Malley's there yet. I don't. I, if if McGregor's a superstar, O'Malley's not what McGregor is. But there's different levels of being a superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think if he defends one time or twice, I think O'Malley's there. I I can I can honestly say he's a pretty damn popular guy for sure. What did it take? I mean, in your eyes, I mean, in my eyes, it seems it would take forever for Rosas to even reach Sean O'Malley status, yeah. let alone. You know, a Conor McGregor or someone like that. Like, I love that he says it, though. You know, but that that is a tall order. Yeah, and you know, look, and let, let's talk about O'Malley. I I can't decide if I like what he's recently said or not, and that is that he doesn't want to fight Alexander Volkanovski. He actually gives him respect and says that dude's a beast. He's almost saying it like. I can't beat him, so I ain't trying to go there. But then he shows a little confidence as well. I can knock anyone out, including Alexander Volkanovsky. But so I don't know if I can appreciate him keeping it real, or if I want champions to have that swagger of I can take on anyone. I don't think you'd ever hear McGregor say, oh, "I don't want no piece of Leon Edwards." Right. You know, he would total me like I, he he would never say that. Um, but O'Malley, like I say, sometimes kind of keeps it fresh, kind of keeps it real, and I'm like, eh, I guess maybe I kind of do like that. Um, he even admitted that he was scared shitless against uh, Aljo Sterling, you know. But I, I don't understand why sometimes I guess it, it does bother me. I'm a flip flopper, I get it. <laughs> um, all right, so listen, I that's kind of all the news I have for today. Uh, Jason Knight and Randy Costa will take the gloves off for Game Bread Bare Knuckle MMA. I think that's going to be a fun fight. Um, we still a ways away from that, but. That was news that popped up. And the Korean zombie, who, by the way, as he was leaving, he had his two uh, gloves that he had laid down in the octagon. He had them in his hands, right, as he's leaving. And a fan snagged one of them. In Singapore, man. In Singapore, they'll cane you for for tagging a wall. I think they are for spitting on the ground. You know, I think if you get caught with pot, you might even get killed. They got serious laws there. But, yeah, someone snagged his glove. So Zombie said, ah, Charlie, and he threw the other glove, right? Because he figured, what's the point of only having one? Well, then all of a sudden, uh, as he thought it through and, you know, started doing some social media posts, some interviews, he said, man, I'm kind of really bummed out I don't have those gloves. So what did Max Holloway do? Sorry. He sent him his gloves, which, you know, doesn't really replace the other ones, but I still thought that was pretty damn big. And Zombie wrote a check for $20,000 for one of the... um, funds that's helping the survivors of the, the the fires and the hurricane in Maui. So like all that was kind of warm and fuzzy stuff. It was weird. I uh I didn't really get it, but uh it's still a nice gesture to do that. Mm-hmm. But and today the Nevada State Athletic Commission was gonna talk about 10 eight rounds and maybe address this whole situation with Mike Bell. So maybe take a look for Anything that might come out of that, you know, that's isn't that what we said? The accountability, what, what's happening here? Is it just going to get talked through? Uh, will the guy have to sit out a show or two? I don't know. You know, like I say, I don't think I've ever called him a punk ass judge or a sorry judge. When I hear his name, I feel comfortable that I'm going to hear a good score 
if I hear Camillo, uh or Jamato, Bell, McCarthy, you know, Cologne, like I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I feel pretty good about these scores. I may not always agree with them. Like I don't agree with Camillo's 10-9 for what is it, round four for Grasso, but I can accept it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 you know, 10-8 was just wasn't feeling that one, man. But the, apparently they, they chatted today and they're still looking for a definition of a 10-8. And, and guess what, folks? We're all over the place. Even Dana White was asked, well, how do you kind of define this? You know, and he's thinking that uh, – was it, was it him? Somebody had said that he was told that a close round is 10-9 and that um, – like a razor close was 10-9, a definitive was a 10-8, and then what we expect the 10-8 to be, we call it a beating, is really the 10-7. I'm like, you're never going to get that out of the judges. I just don't see them right down 10-7. Let's just kind of figure out, A, call the right 10-9 for the, for the right guy or gal, and then decide if it was a little bit more of, a, of that ass whooping that, you know, should go along with a 10-8. I think we need to figure that out first before we even start thinking of 10-7s and separating those. Right. So we're going to come back with Michael C. Williams, the voice of Bellator. We haven't talked to him since Bellator 42. Folks, it's Bellator 299 in three days. So a long time has gone in between us chatting with him. Uh, so a lot to catch up on. We'll be right back. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Today we get to talk to Michael C. Williams, the master of ceremonies, the in-ring announcer for Bellator MMA. Welcome back, Michael. It's been a long time. April of 2011, show number 976. We're co- we're getting close to 3,400 shows. We can't let that many shows go by without talking to you, sir. Glad to have you back. Well, I appreciate you guys having me back on. It's been a long time. I was trying to think about the sort of the beginning of the whole Bellator run. And today, whatever it is now, here we are back again. So I, I appreciate you having me back on. Yeah, it was Bellator 42 when we talked exactly. to you. Yeah, and this is 299, 300, and 301 coming up here. Yeah, yeah. How many of those have you done? So, uh, so actually, I, I joined the second full, the second calendar year. So I think that was Bellator thirteen was was my first. Wow! Not that I didn't try uh, my very best, and even even uh, even probably uh, well, there there was there was a few little white lies in there too. So I, I tried everything, including that, to get into the first, the very first Bellator, Bellator one. Oh. Um, but I, I was, uh, but the, the gentleman at the time, I'm sure you re- recognize the name Bjorn. Bjorn was too smart. He kind of, he sniffed out my little white lie and, and it didn't work out. So he brought me in for the start of the, the second calendar year, which is Bellator's actual, their, their third season, but second calendar year. Are you going to share what that white lie was? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, and it's not that big a deal. It's, and, it, and it's, it was a stretching of the truth more than it was a white lie. But if you remember way back, and most people don't even remember this about Bellator. Is this when John Anik called the fights, I believe, uh, on ESPN or something like that? He was, he was the first year. Yeah. Uh, 
he was the first year and then uh, Jimmy Smith and Sean Wheelock took over in yeah. the second year, the same time that I, and the three of us, Jimmy, Sean, and I kind of came off the affliction shows at, at the I time. That. So mm-hmm. that's that, that. And so he, so Jimmy, Sean, and I all worked together at affliction. And then we ended up at Bellator together too. But, but, but yeah, I think Anik called the first year, but the, but he did the English broadcast. The first year of Bellator was in Spanish. Um, mm-hmm. It was done primarily in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it aired, and it aired primarily in Spanish language. So, um, I actually through, through just industry contacts, I, I knew who Bjorn was. We met, we talked and his first question, and he knew that I was, a, a you know, a ring announcer, cage announcer, you know, it, I did the affliction shows and, 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 and he said, he said, he goes, look, I have one question for you. So I know, I know your work. I know what you do, but I have one question for you. Are you fluent in Spanish? Hmm. And faced in that moment in time, what, what would you expect that I was going to say, knowing what the repercussions of my answer was probably going to be? I don't see Bjorn. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Why do you ask? This is before the first year was even uh, publicly announced that it was in Spanish. I didn't know why he was asking. But I had just come off. I, I, I'd started doing professional boxing as a ring announcer in 1995. And I did several shows in in Mexico on national TV in Spanish. So wow. I know boxing or ring announcer Spanish. I, I can yeah. do that all day long. So that was that, that, that's how I answered his question. I didn't I didn't really take the word fluent to you know to be fluent. I, I assumed he meant, or at least from my take, I was hoping he meant can I announce fights in Spanish, which I had just come off a show the week or two prior. So I said yes. And then as we're talking a little bit, you know, his eye eyebrow kind of curls up and he goes, wait a second. I asked you if you were fluent in Spanish. And that's when I had to admit that I that I was not. And at the time, that's what he wanted for that first for that first year, because it was primarily a Spanish speaking broadcast. So I so that, then it changed in the second year. And then I joined at uh, Bellator 13. Mm. Wow. And, you know, I think I, I would have figured you guys would have crossed paths because he was in boxing in the 90s. And I know you were in boxing in the 90s, but um, it all worked out either way. Right. And now what? So they're getting close to 300 shows. And it sounds like you've been to about 280, 285 of them yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since 13. There's been a couple oddballs in there with with uh, with COVID and then some overseas shows where they we double booked or Bellator double booked. And I was in the States. Somebody else did the overseas. But all total 200 and I don't know, 260 some odd shows probably. Has it been just like every year you just renew a new contract? Do you have a lifetime contract? I mean, I can really appreciate what's that now a dozen years. No more than that. Uh, I mean, that's quite a run and it's, you know, historical run. Yeah. Yeah. Not many things, not many things last that long. In fact, very few things last anywhere near, as long as you know my my uh, my run with Bellator has has lasted, and it and it's been it's been great. There's a couple of changes of uh, of of ownership in there, you know, change of management in there, um, but it's always been that the teams on on both sides uh, at all times have always been great, and and it's a it's a real tight knit production. Um, there's a lot of people who've been there um, for years and years and years, but I think there are three of us that have been there since the beginning-ish. The two guys uh, have been there since Bellator 1, and then me joining in 13, and then uh, so we're the, we're, the three, we're the three old guys in the, uh, in the production. But again, a lot of things in, in my, just in the announcing world as a whole, because I've also, I mean, I've, over my 30 years, I've done 
I, I, I toured with Monster Jam, you know, Grave Digger Monster Trucks. I toured with them for uh, 18 seasons while doing combat sports. And so my Monster Jam run uh, went 18 years. And that, that was the longest, you know, Bellator's 11, 12 years. Um, but again, not many things last, you know, anything more than a, a, you know, a half dozen years or so. So I'm very, very, very fortunate in that respect, on top of the fact that the, the crew, the production, the fighters at Bellator, they're, I mean, it, it is it is an incredible group of human beings. And it's, it's been a blessing to be a part of it this long. I would have guessed that once Mercedes moved on from being a ring card girl that you might have the longest tenure. But there's others that have that uh, outdo you by a couple shows, huh? There's uh, there are two people, in-house producer, wow. his name is Stu Wiener, and uh, and uh, one of the camera uh, operators, Joe. Those are the two guys that have been there since Bellator. Incredible. Um, I noticed, obviously, I, we you know we talked, and you know, this is the voice.com and the event announcing.com website. Check them out. So I was very familiar with the Monster Jam, and I wanted to ask you, that's got to be another set of pipes, right? I mean, I, maybe I watch too many commercials, but I'll hear them say, <laughs> they're coming to the L.A. Coliseum. Do you have to get more gravelly? Like, is that a different type of preparation than delivering fights in an enclosed arena? You know, like, what, what are these different types of gigs like, the preparation? So so normally, George, when someone tees that up with monster trucks, it, it, it inevitably goes down the whole Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Some goes, some, yeah. that whole thing, right? Uh-huh. Um, which is actually drag racing, by the way, not monster trucks uh that that's the origin of, of that that line that famous sort of uh, phrase yeah um but yeah monster i mean i mean there's you i, I also do uh i also um host or, or mc corporate events where where i'm in a, i'm in a tuxedo and the whole atmosphere is very low key there's there's a, just a different delivery for these different types of environments mm-hmm. and I, I i i use the the you know the corporate event you know lavish formal affair smaller couple thousand people I use that as an example because that's one extreme, and the other extreme would be a Monster Jam stadium show. I mean, I've done, I've, I've announced every major for Monster Jam, every major football and baseball stadium in the country. Um, wow. The biggest one I've ever done was Edward uh, Jones Dome in uh, in St. Louis, and that was 65, uh, 67,000 people in that dome, and so the delivery for that, the presentation, mm-hmm. or I, I refer to it as the delivery for that is very different. It has very over the top elements to it. And, and yeah, there's, there's some guttural things. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of throat, you know, you know, throat versus diaphragm and that kind of presentation. Um, you know, combat sports ring announcing, it's somewhere on that side of, you know, of, of the spectrum, because there's a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, in that presentation or that delivery too. It's just not quite as, Far over the top, as you would commonly hear at a at a monster jam show in a mm-hmm. state of you know forty fifty thousand people. Yeah, no, that's that's something else, man. I saw that the marathons, triathlons, and those are all different types of gigs. You know, obviously, I would never compare the little I've done with what you've done, but we've gone to military bases for a whole weekend, mm-hmm. and we do morale visits, and each time you want to give the best to each group right because it's their little 15 minutes to one hour where we come in with some fighters and i want to give the fighters the best intro possible michael by the like the end of the first day i gotta really start thinking about do i want to keep pushing it or level out 
and I got to start, you know, like uh, being careful with what I drink because otherwise you start to really like lose your voice. You hear about these singers that'll be on a tour and they have to cancel like, you know, two weeks worth because they obviously had some sort of a setback. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, at least when they're singing, they're kind of singing their same song, same sets. Whereas you're kind of getting pulled in a lot of different directions to do different types of announcing. Right. Well, well, you know, I say you mentioned it a little bit ago. So I do a lot of training and coaching for other announcers, not not just ring announcer or combat sports, but you know, monster truck announcers in that space and other others, public address, other spaces, too. There's one universal truth, though, and it, and it, it goes to what you were just saying. If, if you're ever feeling anything in your throat, like you're feeling a raspy throat, you feel like you're losing your voice, it's because you're speaking from your throat, uh -huh. your, the, the source of your airflow, if you will, the sound that you're originating. It's all coming from up here. It's all in your throat. And that most commonly, by the way, is, would, would be referred to or be re, re, you know, would, would reflect some form of yelling versus mm -hmm. announcing. And don't get me started on yelling versus announcing because it, that's, they're two different things. Um, but if you are able to, and there's there's a there's a, a, a whole a whole you know element that I that I that I coach that's lowering your the origin of your sound or where you produce your sound uh, from your throat down to your diaphragm, and we've all heard probably the word diaphragm. We're not quite sure what it, what it is, um, but it's but your diaphragm your diaphragmatic breathing. That's that's the key to never never losing your voice again, never getting a raspy throat. Because all your airflow, and you can push a lot more airflow too, if that's where you're generating uh, your sound and where your airflow is coming from. But diaphragmatic, or using your diaphragm, um, as opposed to just bringing air into your upper chest and using your throat, all the difference in the world. So, George, next time before you have your your next event, where this might happen to you, mm -hmm. let, let's get in touch. Let, let's let's okay. do a little bit of work, and we'll figure it out before it happens. When you do your mentoring, and I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. I'll take you up on it. When you do do your mentoring and coaching, can you take a Mumbles McGee and make them into a great announcer, a competent announcer? Or do you have to be born with a certain set of pipes? You know, like, you, you know, you can't perform miracles either. Well, here, so here's, so here, I'll, I'll give you the bottom line first, then I'll kind of back, I'll kind of back myself out of it. The bottom line is it's not about, it's not about voice. It's not about the resonance in the voice. It's not about, it's, the, it's just not, a, it's a lot of people have a great voice and they hear, and they hear it, they'll tell you, they hear it all the time. Oh, you got a great voice. You should, whatever, be on radio with that. It's not about having a great voice. It is because, because a lot of people have that, but they can't stand up on a stage and actually go through and do everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. So having a voice, sure it helps, but it's not the bottom line. The bottom line is being able to, um, to, to, to sort of have some, some certain command over, you know, different uh, other, you know, vocal technicals or vocal basics is what we, what we call them when we're, when we're coaching, you know, and there's, there's these technicals like articulation, inflection, there's all these different things that you can work on. Anyone can work on. I work with people who aren't even announcers of any kind. They're, um, they're just, they just need to, they've been tasked for one reason or another, to step up on the stage and speak, and and yeah. some of what I work with is stage frights and and you know getting comfortable on stage. So the bottom line is not about voice. It's never about voice. If you look at just look at uh, ring announcers, right? Cage announcers, ring announcers. 
if you look through boxing and MMA and you look at the whole group of us, everyone has a very different sounding and, and tenor or resonance or pitch or tone that we use to our voice. All of us are different. So there isn't any one voice that sort of, you know, opens the door or precludes you from doing it. That isn't, that's not what matters. It's about having these technical skills, the ability, you know, and again, you can, you can, you know, we start at the beginning when I'm working with somebody, we start digging into vocal basics, which sounds so simple and rudimentary and almost offensive that we would even take the time to talk about these things but they're, they're building blocks, they're foundations. Then we get into technicals and then variations and we start really working with inflection and so forth. So the, the key, the secret, the bottom line, if there is a secret is uh, me, any other you know, uh, coach or trainer or whatever, none of us know any magic. We can't cast a spell. There's no secret that we can tell you so you'll be successful or great or sound, sound like you want to sound. None of that exists. I don't, I don't, certainly, I don't think anyone else knows any magic or has any pixie dust. It's all going to be about how much time mm-hmm. that other person is willing to put into practice, rehearsal, and drilling on their own time, not associated with an upcoming event. That's the mistake that a lot of people make. How much time are you willing to put in every single day? Every day, a couple hours a day, every single day. And that even sounds almost ludicrous to a lot of people that but if this is your craft if you really want to do it full-time if you want to get into this space that's what it takes every day a routine of practice drilling and rehearsal if you'll put that time in then i can fill in a lot of the other gaps to take you know what took me you know 20 some years to figure out on my own because there was no coaches or trainers or anything like that around you know 30 years ago when i was starting out so if someone's willing to put in that kind of time, then I'm, I'm, I'm one, one of the, the people that can try to fill in all the gaps to cut that 20, 25 year threshold down to, I don't know, whatever, half that or, 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 or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Michael, can you maybe share with us what the biggest difference was between early days, Michael C. Williams and Michael C. Williams today? Well, so so rewind back to what I was just saying about not knowing anything and just sort of standing. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a, there. So when you started, when, when anyone starts announcing, when I started announcing, I, I told you about my little white lie with, um, with, uh, with, with Bellator to try to get in there. And I was announcing a couple things here and there, but not, n- nothing major at the time. I hadn't yet begun monster monster jam at the time. Uh, I told an even bigger lie to get into boxing. Um, which and that, that was w- well before Bellator. So, you know, um, you, you have to figure out how to f- get your way in the door. So I was, you know, I was, I was acting, uh, I was playing the part. I, I was saying, no, no, I, no, I'm a ring announcer. I'm a, you know, I'm a tour announcer. I'm a da, da, da. And then when I got someone to say, yeah, okay, fine, come on in, we'll audition you. Then I had to, fi- then I had to back it up. I had to figure out how, how to do that particular you know, discipline or, or, or type of delivery for that type of, you know, event. So I spent the first, I mean, seven, eight, nine, ten years of my career basically just faking it, pretending, emulating, imitating, doing anything that I could that I thought announcers 
were supposed to do. I was trying to sound like I thought announcers were supposed to sound. At the time, that seemed very reasonable. It made perfect sense to me. And I, and I kept getting work. I, did, I wasn't getting that. I wasn't getting all that more successful. I wasn't getting paid anything more, really, because my value wasn't increasing in any way, shape or form um, throughout that, that first maybe, you know, 10 years, decade, decades, well, feel like a long time. But but so just sort of trying to do what I think an announcer is supposed to do. And then at, there was some point in there where I just realized, well, there's got to be a better way than this. So I went looking for training or coaching or mentoring and there was nothing out there. So then I just became, I, I became an absolute student of the craft. And I began, you know, YouTube was, this is going to date me a little bit, but YouTube was just starting to get big at the time. So there's more and more content on YouTube and online as a whole. And I just, I mean, I was renting VHS tapes from Blockbuster, every event, uh, all, the, you know, all the UFC events, all the boxing shows, everything that I could possibly find just to try to figure out, um, you know, what's beyond just, you know, imitating or doing what I think, what, what do I need to learn? And, and that's, you know, that now is the, is the foundation of all the training and, you know, coaching that I do now is that process that I went through to learn, break things down, figure them out, um, you know, write them down, capture them, um, you know, and then getting into routines like practicing and drilling and rehearsing. I mean, I've, I've talked to myself more than any other human being probably has, on the face of the earth, driving in my house, walking through the mall, uh, walking downtown through, I mean, all the time, uh, you know, but, but that's, but that's, you know, that was a process to get me out of, I don't know, imitating or doing what I think announcer should do to actually becoming one that has a true technical skill set and a true delivery that, you know, I could legitimately call my own. Michael, Early on, did you have any tells? There, uh, there are a few announcers that we figured out if cards are leaning a certain way, if their toe is going a certain way, we know who's <laughs> going to get that decision. Did you ever have any tells early on in your career? So I had people on Twitter who insisted that they knew because they were going they because I because I was <laughs> at, the, at the time I was actually watching Twitter. Sometimes I'd, I'd go on Twitter or something and I would say, you know, I got the scorecards. I'm coming up to the cage or whatever, and so. So I was following it closer at that time. I had people who were insisting that they knew, oh, wait, wait when Michael C. Williams says this or does this first or that, it, you know, the winner is the blue corn. And they insisted that they knew. And they were probably right about 40, 50 percent of the time because that's the odds. There's only two fighters. It's going to go one way or the other. But they insisted that they knew through that experience and kind of battling a little bit with some of the people, even through DMs, we're, we're battling back and forth, and they insist that they knew or that I gave it away. Um, through that experience, long, long time ago, um, I purposefully make sure that I completely randomize it. I read the judges' scores in different orders. I never put things, and I'm, and I, I can kind of keep track of it mentally over the course of a show where if I did it this way last time, there was a split decision, what, two fights ago, another split decision again. I'm going to completely do it some other way just to twist it up so there is no tell. I never stand behind the winning fighter. I always try to stand right in the middle if I possibly can. Uh, sometimes the producer wants me to shift, but that's not me. So I know what you're asking. And a lot of people, and I know a lot of people, and I get asked that question a lot, and it just makes me more and more conscious of 
making sure that there there is no tell that gives that gives it away at least listen part of the definition of a tell is that the person doesn't know they're doing it right so maybe you can tell me if i have a tell (laughs) no no can i jump in real fast just to follow up on this one this one's interesting i would you say that that there's a cardinal sin in in ring announcing if you do have a split decision let's say goes and i fought and okay. we know I battered him ring around one, not a 10 eight, but still I battered him. It was an easy 10 nine. And then the other ones were close, right? If you have three judges scorecards, you don't know how much I can't stand when they say 29, 28 goes 29, 28, George and 30, 27. That gave it away. Cause everyone knows there's no way I could have lost round one. And I wiped goes off the mat in that round. And so basically I just ruined it. Do announcers think of that as well to get the 30-27 out of the way, then the 29-28 the other way, and then the 29-28 will have us hanging, you know, clutching our, our, our pearls, I guess, for that extra three seconds. You know what I mean? Right. I, I will tell you this, though. So I understand what you're asking, and I, I do it both ways, again, because I'm trying to randomize it. So I'm mm-hmm. sure I, I'm very confident that in split decisions, and there's been a lot of them over the years, of course, that you will have heard if we go back, not, not that <laughs> – there's any interest or reason to do this, but if you if we go back, you probably obviously see a thirty twenty seven given once, you know, in the beginning, and then also given it as judge three. The thing about that though is, uh, again, if, if you're if if it's a real close fight, um, and there is the, the judges scorecards, I'm gonna I, I know all the judges, and I think the judges listen. I'm 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 a, I'm gonna probably get some flack for this. I'm a fan of a lot of the judges because I have a. a deep appreciation for what they go through and uh, to, 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 to judge a fight and how difficult it is, how much scrutiny they're under. And I know a lot of them personally from, you know, th- almost 30 years in both sports, boxing and MMA. And I know right. that these judges are, I mean, they, they truly want to get it right. They are impartial and they're honest and they really want to, they, they're tr- okay. So, but there's so much, about judges scorecards now that sometimes if you do 20 and 28 this way, 20 and 28 that way, that's what everybody kind of expects. Then mm-hmm. they know you're going, you're, it's going to be a split decision, right? But then when you give a little pause, a little strategic pause there, then you go and you're, you know, judge number three scores at 30 and you pause again a little bit to 27. What I see in front of me is I see every cornerman in the ring uh, every fighter, every everyone in the front row, I see everyone just go, and all of a sudden the suspense and 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 the emotion at that moment just it just it go, it overflows, it pops, mm-hmm. because nobody can believe there's a thirty twenty seven score. How could who could how could? So there's there's a there's an element in there that that can be I don't know kind of leveraged if you will or positioned or. You know, yeah. and, and that's the kind of thing that makes it a little bit better. Not, maybe not a lot, but a little bit better, you know, TV. So, again, randomizing things as much as I can so no one can pick up a tell, at least to the best of my knowledge. And then um, sometimes at 3027 when it shouldn't be there or maybe it, maybe it should be there, but no one, no one thinks it should or feels it or agrees that it should. Sometimes at the end it provides a nice little right before – announced you know the winners announced okay michael and so from the moment you get the fight ends to when you get the scorecards 
not very many people know the outcome of this fight. How many people know what actually happened? And the reason I bring this up, and I, I hope this is starting to sound like an intervention for, for announcers here at this point, but I don't mean it to come that way. But right. over the weekend, Bruce Buffer, um, as he's walking into the cage, he kind of goes over to Sean Shelby, and you can tell he told him what the result was. Right. And Sean's reaction was, what? You know, and he had this... And it kind of told us something crazy is about to happen, right? So I guess my question is, like, who needs to know all this and how how many people know before you actually give your answer? So without any reference at all to to, to this past weekend, the reference that you made about this past weekend and and so forth, without respect to that at all. So many years ago, decades, literally decades ago, what what I learned being, you know, so when I, cause I, cause I did non-televised shows forever and ever and ever, smaller local and regional shows that, and back then there was no streaming either. So again, allow me to date myself dramatically. So prior to streaming, there, very few shows were televised. Once I started doing televised shows, I was doing ESPN Friday Night Fights for Boxing, HBO Boxing After Dark. And these were bigger shows with big productions and a lot of um, high level producers and directors that watched everything. So if something like that that you just described happened and it originated from me, and I'm not going to say I did it or didn't do it at one point or another, you know, by mistake, and then learn from that. Um, okay, I did. So that's how I learned, and I got—I mean, I got read the riot act because there's cameras everywhere, right? They're picking up all this footage and they want that for you know, directors cutting the show how he wants to cut it, you know, for whatever commentators are talking, right? You're trying to support the commentator, the commentary with different camera shots. Anything like that, if it's happening somewhere around cage side, it's going to get picked up on camera somewhere. So I learned very early on. I don't know. Nobody asks me. I don't tell anybody. Um, so to answer your question directly, uh, I know the scorekeeper knows the commissioner who is looking over the scorekeeper's shoulder and double checking, verifying doing the math again and again, that person knows. And I have a producer, um, a floor producer with me. He, he knows. He and I are basically, literally, we, we, are, we are built, we are a wall behind the scorekeeper because everybody's sitting right over here. They're all trying to rubberneck over our shoulder to find out. <laughs> we got fighters and corner God bless them. If I was a fighter or a corner, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be I'd be looking over the side of the cage, looking down to see if I could see it. There's eyeballs everywhere. So we are literally, and it's just it's just what we've gotten into over the years. We basically surround the scorekeeper, and the only people that know is is my floor producer, me, and the scorekeeper. That's it. Nobody else. Not even. So I'll step in the cage. Scott Coker looks at me, for example. You know, Scott, right? He's the president of the company. Scott looks at me. I look at Scott. I don't know if he can tell from my experience. I'm not trying to indicate anything, but we look at each other, and Scott has never once, never once asked me who the winner was. I don't even think he wants to know. I think he wants to be, I think he yeah. wants to be in the moment too, as right. do other people. So that that that's how we address it. And again, I learned that lesson about cameras and it getting picked up many years ago. And I, you know, it was a hard lesson to learn at the time, but it's, it's paid off over the years, I guess. That is cool, man. The, the wall that you guys built, because yes, I've seen it in other promotions and I've seen the promoter be aware of who it is and stand behind 
and then it's the announcer saying it, almost taking the step towards. We had before, right? Now, granted, Goz and I are geeks. We're geeking out on every single detail. Maybe 99% of the world is just waiting for the announcement, but we're catching these 3027s or this, like Goz said, someone stepping behind someone or whatever. But I guess we were just always curious over, hey, if television's involved, I'm sure there's uh, a trickle effect of some people just have to know, you know, but yeah. sounds like you guys kind of have a well-guarded secret there. Um, yeah. What do you think? Uh, like, so you, you probably know for about 30 seconds, unless you're coming back from a commercial or whatever. What are you thinking during that time? Have you ever seen two opposite 3027s and just said, come on guys, <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> or have you ever just looked at the scorecards and, you know, you got to say a draw. You just know something is going to upset some people. Like, are you thinking it through or do you just stick <laughs> to Michael C. Williams? I just got to deliver the news. Well, so I, you know, listen, I'm, I'm human too. Right. And I'm, and I'm, and one of the best things about being, uh, I'm sure you've heard other ring announcers say this. One of the best things about this job is that you get to sit cage side or ringside. You're right there. And you, I mean, I get, mm -hmm. I get hit with blood and spit every, every show. I mean, how great is that? I mean, I, I'm right there. I, so I get to see, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm seeing angle. There's always a judge beside me, right? And I always pay attention to who that judge is. And so in my head, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, who might have won that round. And the reason why I say there's a judge here is that judge's perspective is exactly the same as mine. But I can also look across the cage this way and this way, and I can see the other two judges. And they're, they can't see all the little hand fighting, for example, that I'm watching here in, in my corner, not corner, but you know, in my little area. So I know those three judges perspectives and that's what, and you've heard now, big John McCarthy says that all the time. And that, and that's part of why judging is so tricky and it's so challenging for them. You know, as good intentioned as they are, their perspectives are wildly different. Whereas if you're home, you're watching whatever, you know, the camera's feeding your TV set. Right. Right. Uh, so, but, but, but I'm always curious if this judge saw the fight the same way, the same way I do, and they don't always, and and mm -hmm. I defer. I'm like, well, then, then he's right. I'm I'm not right. He's right because, but when I pick up a scorecard, it's if it's a three round fight or a five round fight, right? You know, boxing. When I'm doing boxing. It's 10, 12 rounds, eight, 10, 12 rounds. But MMA, I mean, it's three or five rounds, so I, I can do that math, and I've gotten very good at, at MMA math, scorecard math. So as I'm standing over top of the scorekeeper. Um, not that I've been asked to do it. Um, maybe I, I, you know, I, I'm not needed to do it. There's a scorekeeper and there's a commissioner there. They're doing the work, but I cannot help running through that math in my head. And I can do, I can add up the tens and nines and eights and a few sevens. I can add that up. And I, and so I'm adding it up. I get the totals oftentimes before they do yeah. and do my eyebrows, you know, you know, could they peak sometimes? Probably. I mean, but I've, again, I've just learned as my, Floor producer has. We've both learned to be just stone faced from the time that we we're standing there to the time we walk around, you know, all the way, you know, and I, and so it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, again, the, the second that we do something or, 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 or you know, camera's going to find us, it's going to end up on the, on the, on the broadcast. Mm -hmm. It's inevitable. That's just Murphy's Law. So, have you ever been injured while standing there and doing an eight-hour show that you, you know, maybe it's a good story you can tell. That maybe you had a broken pinky toe or, <laughs> or you pulled a hamstring going upstairs, you know. I, I don't know. Like, have you ever had one of those where you're like, this is a long effing show? 
Well, so I, I'll, 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 I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you this short story. So I've never been physically injured. I've not, I'm not a, I'm, you know, that doesn't, t- doesn't take long watching me to know that I don't have a lot of theatrics and, and movements. I mean, you know, the more, the more you're moving, the more physiology you're wrapping in, the less airflow you have as, as, as an announcer. So for me, just my delivery, my style is, is I'm, I'm, I'm a little more, you know, I'm a little calmer, you know, physically or my physiology is calmer. And I'm trying to push everything through my my vocal delivery, right? So, I really haven't had a good occasion to get announced, uh, uh, injured, you know, physically. But there was a show. Uh, probably it was after it was post COVID, so in the last you know, maybe year year and a half, where I think I think it was the L.A. Forum too, if I'm not mistaken. I'm back. I'm hanging out. You know, Big John and Josh and I were were in the back. Uh, Moral. We're we're just, we're just you know waiting for showtime because we had rehearsal. We couldn't go back to the hotel. We got dressed at the arena, and we're just waiting. And I'm just waiting. And I'm I'm eating something. And we're waiting. And I get I get dressed. I'm all dressed and ready to go. And then uh, one of my one of my nostrils, one of my nose, it just starts pouring blood out. And I'm oh, literally no. trying to I'm literally trying to cat, catch it with with you know. So so now I'm doing this. And then I got a cut man who's there, fortunately going. No, don't don't hold your head back. You got to hold your head forward. And so, um, so I'm just hanging out back there. I had about 15, 20 minutes, and it wouldn't stop, wouldn't stop, wouldn't stop, wouldn't stop. Cut man had gone because he he has got fighters, (laughs) more important people to take care of right before a show starts. So I end up then right before the first prelim kicks off with with a big huge pile of paper towels you know going like this i'm walking out to the to the side of the, of the cage and i got one of the cut man uh cut men who who gave me he, he goes he goes i can stop the bleeding and i'm like that's that's the advantage of having a cut man right there for this whatever the heck's going on here i said are you sure why, why is this happening because it never happened to me never happened before still not why it happened but i'm about to go in the literally walk in the cage in minutes for the first prelim and uh, and he goes, no, I can stop it. Trust me. And I'm like, but why is it happening? I don't know, but I can stop it. Trust me. And I said, what are you going to do? He goes, trust. So he, he lays me back and, and he shoots something up my nose, whatever it was. And <laughs> he, he goes, it, it, you know, coagulant, whatever, I, you know. And he, he had me sit there for a second. He did this, like this. And I think just to be funny, he smacked me upside the head and he goes, okay, stand up. And it was, and it stopped and it stopped. Wow. And it didn't, and it never, and it never it never started again that night, and it never happened again. Uh, I still know what he did, um, but that was his name's Matt Marsden. That, that's our cut man. He's been with yeah. Bellator for a long time. But uh, but I, I every time I see Matt, I'm like, remember that time? So what so, would you have done? Would you have stuffed a little, you know, some white gauze in there and just hope no one picks it up? So or, so, or wing it. But if you start bleeding, that could be obviously just as embarrassing. So I, I had some stuffed in there, but it oh. didn't hold. It didn't hold. That, that's why. That's why I had to walk out like this because <laughs> I had stuffed something in there and it didn't hold. That's and that's why. I, so I don't know. Had but but again, there's there's uh there's two uh, three cut men at at cage side and there's three in the back. So I knew I could find a, and and their whole thing, uh, blood is their thing. And when they see blood, you know they you know, they 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 couldn't get any happier. So when I walked yeah. toward Matt like this. He was like, he was like, wow, this is great. You know, he, he was at the time of his life. Um, so without him though, I don't know. I guess I would have, I would have, st- I had to still do it. So I would have stepped in the cage and whatever. 
I know we got to let you go. Let's just, just do these two quick ones. You've yeah, done yeah. the karaoke at some point with that voice. What's your karaoke go to? Okay, so full disclosure, I can't sing a note. Can't sing a note. Really? Can't sing a note. I can. Oh, wow. I, I I can do. I can do voice imitations that I can sing in that voice. Oh, that's been a while. Long time. You doing that? What's that? Can you imitate? What, what, do, what do you imitate? What do you imitate? Ah, <laughs> so uh, like a Simpsons well, character or something? No, no, nothing like that. So uh, I, I uh, back in the day, um, like when, uh, and this goes, this goes because I was supplementing my income with with this type of little, you know, work. But uh, I, I was doing takeoffs of, of, of you know, Marv Albert um, when, when he was doing, you know, the Michael Jordan, Patrick oh, Ewing era. Spectacular move. Remember uh, that one? Yeah. Yeah. It's the NBA on NBC Today. It's Michael Jordan. I get, now, look, it's, it's been 15 years, but that was yeah. the thing. And I would do riffs on that for recordings and for corporate events and things like that. But it's been a while. But no, back to your, back to your question. Can't sing a note. Last one. Um, has there been a moment where you were just like, oh, my God. I'll give you an example, and maybe you can use this one. When MVP delivered that knee to Cyborg's forehead, you know, and he crushed his skull. Like, have you ever had just, like, a moment where you're like, oh, my God. Like, maybe your stomach's upset or you're just like, man, you got to look away. So so there, there's been – well, there's been – I mean, consider the sport. There's been a lot of them over – over the years. And I think the first one ever that, that happened was an early Bellator show. We were the, um, I just remember the, the, the cage was on a, was in, we were in a theater. So it was Kate, you know, cage on the stage. It was that kind of setup in the early days. And I remember the fighter's name was Jared. And I remember um, he, we, we didn't know what happened, uh, but his, his knee basically his knee dislocated. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went to the ground and kept fighting and no one knew, no one could figure out. And we didn't, and he finished out the round. Didn't even know, no one really knew. His corner probably did. But no one else really knew if, if his knee was out or what was happening. Is he, is he that flexible? And then when the round ended, he had to stand up and walk back to his to his corner. And we could all see that the bottom half of his leg was basically dangling. If you Google it, you'll find it. It's crazy, crazy. And, and, and so that was the first time that ever, in all the boxing I'd done in MMA prior, that was the first time I'd ever been like, what the... But then you mentioned MVP. I was I was there when MVP hit Cyborg with the knee in London, um, and Cyborg dropped. No one knew what happened, and then of course we found out later. And then MVP again. He just fought a guy. Uh, uh, I think it's his last fight. He fought Goichi Yamauchi. Yeah, Goichi's fantastic. I mean, Goichi's been in Bellator forever. I've known him forever. He's the great, nicest guy in the world. And and he's good, and he, and he he got a he got a, a knockout stoppage over Neiman Gracie, um, and Go, you know Goichi's a ground guy, he's a, a jiu-jitsu guy, and and obviously so is so is Neiman. But he he, he TKO'd Neiman, and then so so Goichi's gonna he's got his time has come. He's, and so they put him up against against Page, against MVP, and then like in the first minute, um, the first time MVP threw a kick, um, yeah. yeah. And, and and so and that that was that's very fresh in my mind. I I can still see that hat. I like both those guys a lot. I've known both of them guys for a very long time, and to see that happen, I mean, it was a, it was a very dramatic you know moment. This was great, mm -hmm. but it's hard you know it's hard to see that happen to a guy like Goichi who who, who you know so well and, and you you love and respect and and um, but uh, yeah. But and there's there's been a whole bunch of other others too. But those are the three that that really stand out and you know. 
but yeah. Michael, it's been great catching up with you. I know we have a heart out here. Uh, this is the voice.com folks. If you want to work with Michael on a personal level, there's also another one called liveeventannouncing.com. And again, he can mentor you and he's got some free courses. There's some different types of personal one-on-one training. Check out the websites and, of course, catch them at every Bellator show, including the 23rd. That's the next one, Bellator 299, 11 a.m. start time because of the time difference. And that's Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Johnny Evelyn competes that night. He defends his midway title against Fabian Edwards. Of course, you got the Bellator 300 with four title fights, Bellator 301, two title fights in the Windy, Windy City. So great way for Bellator to finish the year off strong. Thank you, sir, for coming back on Junkie Radio, and hopefully we can get together again soon. I had more questions, but we'll do it on another time. We had a blast with you. All right, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. He tried to get one by the goalie, and Bjorn Revney caught him. That's funny. You know, come on. I don't think Revney needed a, an actual um, fluent Spanish speaker. If the guy can belt out what he needs to belt out, you know, in Spanish, that's good enough for me. <laughs> I like the story, though. I dug it. Yeah, and I don't believe Michael C. Williams doesn't have some sort of a karaoke in his back pocket. I mean, when you have a voice like that, you mm-hmm. should have at least one in the chamber, right? If you ever get caught in that spot. What's your go-to? Oh, I sound horrible on anything, but if I had to, I mean, the words are in front of you. I would just have fun with whatever. Uh, but I, I tend to like fast, mm, what do you call them? Like, almost like rap songs when you can just read off a bunch of words rather than worry about tone up and down you know mm-hmm. maybe a johnny cash song is good it is yeah. a good song although i don't know about that one where he says like i'm in albuquerque oklahoma city this that this that that, 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 that mm-hmm. arizona you know like that's a lot of fast reading there but it does sound like it would be fun you know which one i'm talking about yeah yeah um, all right, folks. So listen, I hope you all have a fun weekend. This weekend, we do have a fight, two fight cards. We have the Bellator 299 card in Dublin, Ireland. So the schedule is as follows. I've told you this before, but I'll tell you one more time. They're still on Showtime and YouTube, all right, on September 23rd. They're going to start early, though, because of the time difference. It's... Uh, MMA Junkie or YouTube at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific for the prelims. And then the main card is 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And that includes the title fight of Johnny Evelyn versus Fabian Edwards. Also, Aaron Pico's on the card. And the UFC comes back later that night. They're on ESPN Plus for the entirety of their show. Starts at 4 p.m. Eastern. 1 p.m. Pacific. So that's a little bit of an overlap there with what Bellator is doing, right? So you can have Showtime on one for the main card and ESPN Plus for the prelims for the UFC. Tim Means is back. Uh, Miles Johns, Jay Collier, Mohamed Uzman, Hannah Goldie. And then the main card is at 7 p.m. Eastern. One, Sorry, 4 p.m. Pacific. Rafael Fiziev against Matias Gamrat. Dan Ige against Bryce Mitchell, Marina Rodriguez against Michelle Watterson Gomez. Brian Battle is back as well. So, and Charles Jordan, he's pretty fun to watch. 
I, I think he's a French kid that I remember. He's he's had some good fights, man, over time. All right, folks, enjoy the weekend. We'll see you all on Monday. Ghost and I actually no 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 no. Ghost and I will not be on this spinning back lake show. So we'll see you in a week. We're we're gonna skip the next show. We're taking a few days off. So enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the other part of the week. We'll reconvene next week. Take care. Go out and be a champion. <laughs>